And that's a perfect advertisement for Sunday night. Brother Jimmy and, and LaDonna, they play and lead for us on Sunday night. And we have such a wonderful time. And you can hear him every Sunday night. So uh, come back and be with us again tonight at 6 o'clock in the sanctuary. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes. I got it right. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're winding down. There were four major premises in this laboratory of life that uh, Koaleth, the, the preacher, which many believe was Solomon that wrote this, presented to the reader. He asked several questions and then he began to expand and began to evaluate those questions in light of life and then now in eternity. And so we start by the first question that he asked back in chapter 1. He posed it this way in chapter 1 verse 14. He said, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. He basically made the statement, I don't know. He said, I wonder, and it seems to me that life is just not worth living. It's, uh, it can become a very deep quagmire, a quandary. It, it can become so burdensome sometimes. His question presented was, is life worth living? You remember the first time that you had to maybe put your name on a dotted line and it was on uh, a car payment or you remember when they brought you a stack of papers about this high and they said sign this initial here 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 sign these three pages initial 17 more times and uh, you know all these things and it was a closing on a piece of property or a home and I can remember when we uh, bought our first piece of property and we literally did it out over the hood of a car. Having a wife that was a paralegal, it made it uh, easy. And so we started through this, and I got to one point, and I stopped, and I looked at the paper, and I looked, and I said, now what? And Becky interrupted me. She said, you're a builder. I'm a paralegal. Sign it. I never asked another question. I just signed it, and I've trusted her for 20-something more years since then, and many more papers. But you know, it can be overwhelming. When student loans, when, when you, you have these car payments, when things break, and all of a sudden, about the time that you think you're going to get caught up, you get that lovely uh, letter in the mail that says your property taxes are due. All of these things are piling up, and then it's come, April 15th is sneaking up on you, and then you have to go to the hospital. You have to have medicine and all these things. And you start getting weighted down with this, these burdens of life. And you think, 
man, is life even worth living? It, you, it's one step forward and two steps back. Anybody ever felt that? It's going to be a boring, boring time if we keep on on the path. Do y'all understand what we just sang? I mean, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I just get a little overwhelmed when I hear, you are the breath in my lungs. Lord, I can't even make a note. It's one thing they teach you in CPR uh, when you get to someone and to know, especially with babies, you know, there used to be all these wives' tales on how to fix a baby that was choking. They'd turn them upside down, pat them on the back. And you remember the old one about lifting their arms? That is the most ridiculous Redundant. That's how you as- asphyxiate someone. That's how you choke someone by holding up their arms long enough. First of all, you know if they're choking if they cannot make a sound. If air passes over the larynx, they're not completely choking. All my nurses, am I right? There, if, if there's breath, if there's no breath, it's going to look like this. And there's sheer panic. No sound. Well, I'm going to tell you, sometimes in our worship, we're like this. We're choking on the world. Church, we're in the church. We are the church. Jesus is Lord. He is our breath in our lungs. He is our hope for our journey. We need to wake up. Life is worth living. We're going to see that today. All of this book, over. Uh, this is the 18th sermon, at least 18, maybe 19th, 20th, in this little 12-chapter book. And I know some of you say, well, if you make it about 20 minutes and, and cut down on the stuff, I'm going to tell you, I could preach for 10 hours and not touch the hem of the garment. The problem is not the sermons are too long, it's that we are too short-sighted for the depth of God's truth. Now that's the fact. That's the fact. How many hours a week do you spend eating? How many hours do you spend a week on your favorite TV show? And then put it in perspective to how many hours, or may we say minutes, you stay in prayer to a holy God that can do something about you. God said, wake up. How much time do you spend reading God's Word. Teenagers, are you going to wait till you get older to read the Bible? Are, you go, are we going to wait, young couples, until our marriage is on the rocks before we seek God? Are we going to wait, parents, till our children are in trouble and they call from the police department before we get on our face before God? Church, we got to wake up. People are going up and down those roads have no idea where they're going, and we do. And we can say, listen, there is destruction at the end of life's highway without Jesus. If we really, really believe what we sang this morning, we would be rushing to every family member, every friend, every enemy, screaming at the top of our lungs, please trust in Jesus. And yet, The majority of Southern Baptists will never lead one person to the Lord. It's the last time you shared your testimony of how Jesus saved you. You hear mine all the time. 
You say, yeah, but you're a preacher. I know. I'm a believer. And I love to tell people what Jesus did for me. Because nobody knows the depth and depravity of my sin like I do. And like I've heard others say, and I cannot tell you who is saved or not except for one, and that's me. And I'm here to tell you before the face of all this church and before my God who sent his son, I placed all my hope in the only one who could do anything about my life. When he convicted me, convinced me, and spoke to my heart and says, you need me. Through Sunday school teachers, through parents, through the preacher, through vacation Bible school workers, and that Sunday night or Thursday night in revival, yes, back when we had revivals, we believed in revivals, when we would go to church more than once a week because we believed we needed God. Cried out in repentance, and the Lord saved me. Listen. Life is exciting. We ought to experience it. How many of us are just going through life rather than experiencing life? Really grabbing hold of what God has for us. We always look at foreign missionaries who sell their homes and leave their families, and we say, oh, I could never do that. Why? Why not? Why, if God's call is on your life, then we ought to believe we can do whatever he calls us to do. Instead of regressing, we ought to be aggressively moving forward in the will of God. Listen, senior adults, physically you may not be able to do what you did when you were in your 20s or 30s, but if we've grown in God's word, then spiritually you ought to be able to do head and shoulders above what you could do 30, 40 years ago. Right? That's why Caleb's my hero. He is. I mean, yeah, anybody can pick Elijah in the Old Testament, Moses, David. Man, I love Caleb. Caleb's kind of quiet, Caleb's, but Caleb's faithful. Caleb serves. Caleb went through 40 years of misery, and it wasn't his own fault. He was faithful. And, and he wasn't even number one when he come out of that. He was number two. But he told number one, hey, don't forget, I was with you. I trust just like you do. And don't think for a second I've become weak or dim-eyed. I'm ready for whatever God has before me. Listen, I want to pose to you the question, is life worth living? Is life worth living? When we look around, he said in verse 14 again, he said that life under the sun. When we look around at, at this temporal life, life under the sun, then we understand, hey, life is hard. Life is hard. If you don't believe it, take a college accounting class. Take statistics. Amen? I mean, get to, get to the end of a master's or doctoral program where you've got to go and present before a committee. And it's either... Life can be hard. School. Man, I'm trying to learn. I mean, numbers scare me. I, I mean, that's why I have an accountant. Uh, uh, numbers scare me. I, I, I like words. I don't want numbers. 
Life is hard in school and work. Sometimes, you know, you've got the perfect, best laid plans for the week and everything goes awry. Something breaks, someone didn't do what they were supposed to do, someone quits. Life is hard in school and work. Life is heavy. Man, sometimes the burden of family can almost choke you emotionally to death. You, I mean, you feel this, this thousand weight burden on you. You can't sleep, you can't eat. Things become so heavy because of family issues, finances. And I'm going to tell you, one of the leading causes in marriage breakups in young families is finances. They get married, they spend way too much money on a wedding, and they'd be, they're just as married if they would have not went 10 years in debt. And then the first Christmas, we've seen everything that's on the Hallmark Channel and everything else, and we think our Christmas is supposed to look like theirs. And so we, we decorate all over, and we spend exorbitant amounts of money on credit cards. I mean, listen, do you know what happened to the last Calvary general that took out and said, charge? The Indians killed them all. We take our card out and we're just like Custer. Charge! And we think there's this magical lot of money. Listen, debt is strangling us. I cannot tell you how many times Christians said, I can't afford to tithe. And I I always know the answer, and sometimes I just don't want to hear it, but sometimes I'll say, okay, why? Well, we've got to pay for that four-wheeler, and, and, and we've got to pay for the ranger, and we've got this rental house. And we got... Listen, you can't afford not to tithe, because you'll not enjoy all that stuff if you're putting it before God, because it's God's. It's your God. This is not fun preaching, is it? Life is heavy. Hang on with me now. Just hang on. Because this is convicting to all of us. Life is heavy. Life here under the sun seems hopeless. Trials and tribulations. Things that nobody else around you knows about. Nobody. Nobody. But there's still trials and tribulations to you. Both from inside and outside. Satan. Satan buffeting us, just beating on us like he did on the Apostle Paul. When we look around, life is hard. Would y'all all agree? When we don't look at God, life is heavy. Y'all with me? When we do not place our hope, faith, trust, and future in the Lord's hand, life seems hopeless, doesn't it? Yet I've already said that our text today is that life is exciting. We ought to experience it. Look in chapter 11, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters. He's not talking about fishing, Steve. Um, as much as it would be good. Cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. We have looked at how heavy life can be here, 
how hard and hopeless when we look around under the sun, but when we look up, the answer is yes, life is worth living. Y'all with me? Life is worth living. What do we sing? Life is worth the living. Why? All right, what's the very first word of that you just said? Just. Not life is worth the living because he lives. Life is worth the living just because. There is no other reason for living apart from Jesus. It's a temporal life. And there's nothing but doom and damnation without Jesus. Yet God so loved us that he sent him. Life is exciting. I'm an adrenaline junkie. Always have been. And it's cost me many scars. If there was a tree we could climb, we'd climb it. If there was some kind of hill or something we could jump off, we'd jump it. Uh, if we got a go-kart or a mini-bike and there was something we could build with, there was a ramp, we was going to jump it. I mean, we were going to make racetracks, we were going to do whatever, and I'm not going to give kids any ideas of stuff we did with bottle rockets and baby guns. But I remember when bungee jumping first really kind of became popular, and first ones we saw was at Panama City. And I looked over at, uh, we were on vacation with Mark and Michelle Merritt. Yeah, I'm telling on you, Mark. Uh, Mark is a very down-to-earth. He, he keeps me balanced in a lot of ways. But uh, I called him at a weak moment. I said, we ought to do that. He said, well, if you'll do it, I'll do it. I said, let's pull in. We pulled in. And I saw all the blood drain from his face. And so we walk up. And I push him up, we paid to bungee jump. We paid our money. Our wives stood outside the fence like smart human beings with a video camera. You know, one of the big ones you'd hold on your shoulder. And so they put us in our harnesses and all that, and we started climbing. I think it was like 75 foot, something like that. so we start up, we get up about the fourth or fifth flight of steps. <laughs> I can see it in my mind. He's got one foot on one step, one foot on the other, a hand like a lost sinner on the back of a pew when the preacher's giving the invitation. His knuckles have turned white, holding on to the handrail. And he stops, and he's starting to hyperventilate. <sighs> and he can't even see out. He said, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't. And I just start pushing him. I said, you're going, you're doing it. He said, I got to go first. I said, that's fine, we're going, we're going. And I push him up, and we get it to the very top. And he's just like, oh. I mean, he's about to shake and just fall off. I said, wait, let him hook you up. And so they hook him up, and he steps out to the edge. And they give us the whole, we're going to count down and all that. And they open the thing, and they say, one, two, three. And on the third one, it looks like something from a wedding video on YouTube where one of the groomsmen passes out. He just goes weak. And he just falls off. And not a word. He bounces up and down. They lower him down. He gets up just like he had just pumped gas and walks over and looks up at me and smiles. I could see that far back then. 
And so I get hooked up, and then I'm realizing, oh, no. Now I've got to do it. And so they hook me up, and they give me the whole rundown. I'm trying to focus, you know, and try to stare down my fear, and, and I'm just locked up on this. And so they open. He said, all right, I'm going to count down. He said, and I knew in my heart what would happen if I got to three. And so he said, one, two, and I just jumped. And when I jumped, I screamed like a four-year-old girl. I screamed bloody murder all the way down. And after that initial recoil, I began to enjoy it. I said, hey, it's all right. This is pretty cool. And I just enjoyed it. I love to go fast. I've done the NASCAR thing around the track and I've been building old hot rod another day. No wind is in it, nothing. And first time I've got to drive it in 15 years. And I gave it everything it had because I love it. Emily and I were talking the other night. We're sitting on the couch. We're watching something on TV, and she said, let's go skydiving. Much like with my friend, when he said something about bungee jumping, I said, let's stop and think this through before I blurt out something. I said, well, let's look and see what it cost. And we began to look at some of that stuff. But I love, and some of you, you know, but you know, you may not like the biggest, fastest roller coasters. I don't understand you. I really don't. Life's too short not to ride the biggest, baddest, fastest, flippinest roller coasters in the world. Why are you shaking your head? You're the biggest adrenaline junkie in our family. If there's a roller coaster made, you'll get on it, won't you? Won't you? Amen. Amen to that. She's not scared. There's nothing scared about my wife. She loves it too. And listen, my whole point, life can be exciting if we embrace it, if we engage it. Too often we stand back and we don't want anything to do with it. We've got to look right here at faith's potential. Solomon is an old man saying, don't do what I did. Life can be exciting. Now, it doesn't mean you have to ride roller coasters and jump out of airplanes, but there is a place God wants us to go in our lives personally that will be exciting. Been on many mission trips, but last year Haiti is the most real mission trip I've been on. Emily is like, I want to go back. I said, oh, we'll pray about it. But you know, I loved having gone. It was exciting to go and to do and to be. But look, the whole deal is, it's about faith. It's everything that y'all studied in Romans this morning. It's everything y'all studied. Faith's potential. Believing in a God who can do it. And listen, he can do it without you believing or not. But when we place our faith, hope, and trust, that's what he's trying to tell them. Cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Do you see the first picture? You remember, without flipping back, don't flip back. What was not the original uh, laboratory of life, but what was the next one with the title of today's sermon? What was on the picture? A ship? Huh? Was a ship on there? See, we don't know. There were several ships. 
several. There's a purpose in that. Look at the scripture. He said right here, give a portion to seven and also to eight. He's talking about, it's a picture of a businessman. It's like, if you can imagine, Ray, a, a, a soybean broker. That he's sending out his, his wares. He's sending out his product across the ocean. Now, remember, they didn't have these big local counties that float that's big enough to carry a gazillion tons of equipment and stuff and go through canals and all this. It was very dangerous. Their life and livelihood depended on it. I mean, we study about and read in history of great shipwrecks and things like that. The point with faith's potential is, you ever heard this phrase, no risk, no reward? Look what he said in verse 2. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for you know not what evil shall be upon the earth. You have. Let's be honest. Now, I know the odds are in some's favor, but no one here knows what you're absolutely going to have for lunch, much less what's going to happen in your life in three months. We don't know that we'll be here for lunch. Am I right? There's people who got up this morning who will not go to bed on their own accord. It's just the case. You don't know. We, we get older, we get a little prideful, we start relying on self, we put faith aside just like Solomon did, and we think, hey, I've got it made. I'm not risking what I've got. I'm not going out, I'm not sending out, I'm not doing any. I'm just going to attend. I'm a member, I'm going to come, I'm going to go. I'm not going to do anything, I'm not going to go anywhere, I'm not going to give anything. I'm just going to be what I am. You see, he had not seen what was over the sun. We have not seen God's plan for our life. You may see the overarching purpose for your life in sharing the gospel, teaching Sunday school, raising a family, working your career, things that you've prayed about God's giving you direction in. But the specifics, you don't know. I've told you before, they told me that when you look out on a clear ocean, you can only see 12 miles because of the shape of the earth. I'm not a flat earth guy. I kind of believe it's round. And there's enough evidence to support that. But based on that arch, you can only see 12 miles across the ocean. You don't know what's at 13 miles, right? Think about those that we have seen before that, you know, the Titanic. They didn't see the iceberg. They had every opportunity to be warned, and yet they did not pay attention. They had no idea that that iceberg was going to cause such a great loss of life. Or I am convinced they would have done something different. What do you think? Storms blow up, things that we cannot see. But we must understand, God is in control. And when faith is the victory, when we place all our hope, he said, without faith, it is 
impossible to please God. And even Tom Cruise and all of his agents cannot get that mission accomplished. It is impossible. It's impossible to please God. For faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We have not seen, yet we can know God's over the horizon. Now tell me the truth. Ever been a time where you didn't feel like God was over the horizon? And yet when you got there, he was? Can you look back over your life where in such dread, despair, and anxiety, you thought you couldn't even breathe, and yet God gave you the victory? I am the most guilty of anybody in this room of forgetting what God's done for me in the past and doubting him in my future, taking my eyes off of him. And listen, we can be optimistic, we can be all fun-loving, upbeat, but optimism, we've said it before, is not faith. I just believe, I just, listen, your belief is only as strong as what you believe in. You hear what I'm saying? Have you ever put a dollar or now two dollars in a Coke machine and didn't get one? You ever done it? Your faith let you down, didn't it? Or you wouldn't have put money in it if you thought it was going to take your money. But you just believe, based on a track record, when you put money in a Coke machine, you can hit a button and get you a drink. That old hot rod I was talking about, I put new modern power brakes on it because it came with old four-wheel drum manual brakes. And I learned the hard way. Backing it up one day in my, in my yard, I went to mash the brakes, and it wasn't there. And the pedal went all the way to the floor. A, a brake cylinder had give out, and all the brake fluid went out on the ground. And luckily, I was able to turn and coast it into the yard and not down the hill into a tree. I just believed when I mashed the brake pedal, it would stop. But my faith was only as strong as what I put it in. Y'all get that? But when you place your faith in God, has you, have you ever mashed the brake on God and He not be there? Have you ever put something in with God? You ever invested in believing in God for your life and God not bless you for it? Huh? Have you ever trusted God and God let you down? No? No. Because faith is our potential, not what we conjure up in our own strength. Do you understand your faith is only possible because God gives it to you? Now think about that for a minute. You can't even have faith in God without God giving you the ability to believe in Him. For he is God. Look, when we look up, when we look up, the answer is life is exciting. No risk, no reward. You don't know, but does it matter? Oh, when we get our eyes off of this temporary, when we throw our watches aside and we just relax, man, life gets sweeter. 
because of faith's potential. But not only in the no risk, no reward, but looking at faith's potential, look with me in verse 1 and 2 again. He said, cast your bread upon the waters. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for you know not what evil shall be upon the earth. He tells us in 1 John 4, 1 to try the spirits to see if they be of God. Now, he's not telling us to meddle in anything and everything. We're to study God's word. We're to know God's word. But sometimes God makes us take baby steps. God doesn't allow us to be turned loose, to run free however we want. And we've got to trust him for every step. Are y'all following me right there? And what we've got to understand is that whatever's out there, we must believe God's in control. He said, send them all. Send seven or eight. Send, put all your, but here's what he's also, he's saying, try the spirits. Know whether they be of God. Know where to go. Know what to do. But sometimes you've got to be willing to pull the anchor to cast and to set sail before you'll know what God wants, what current God will drive you through. Faith overwhelms fear. I don't know. I don't know if I can go out and do this and do this. I don't know. I can't go tell somebody. I can't talk. I can't do. I can't share. Listen, just set sail. I love that phrase that Paul used when he was on the, the prison transport ship. He said, and they lifted or cut forth the anchors and they let her drive. Just let the ship go wherever the wind drove it to protect it. Sometimes it looks like we're being into the storm. We're going deeper into the storm, but really what God is doing us is God's taking us through the storm. And he's got a path for us. But how are you going to know until you set sail? Just sit there. Boy, I got a pretty boat. Y'all see my boat? It, yeah, I mean, come on aboard. And they go day after day, and you stand out there, and you polish it, and you shine it. And you know, uh, with big ships, they're always painting something, and they're always swabbing the deck, and they're always doing all this, keeping it clean because of the salt and all this. And they're just polishing all the brass, doing all that, and they ring the bell, and blow the horn, and everybody walks up and down the pier, and they say, oh, that's a nice boat. Yeah, thank you. Don't you think it's beautiful? And then after a few months, people start realizing, boat don't ever move. And somebody walks by one day, probably kin to the little kid who looked at the emperor and says, you don't have any, on, any clothes on. Little kid that mama's trying to hide him looks out and says, hey, why don't you ever sell your boat? You just sit here on your boat. It's a boat. There's a big ocean. Why don't you sail? You know what the answer probably is? Well, I'm afraid I might mess it up. I'm going to tell you, it's a useless ship that never sails. God saved you, but listen, did he save you just, just to go to heaven and not go to hell? Or did he save you to live now, not just eternally? Set sail. Faith owns the future. It owns the future. Faith owns tomorrow if it comes. 
He tells us in Matthew 6. He said, take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Proverbs 27, 1, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. He said, send them all. Load it all up. Some will make it maybe. But I can't sit here and let all of my grain rot on the deck. It's got to go somewhere if we're going to make any profit. Hold nothing back. Invest in the future. Invest in someone's life. Invest. Listen, senior adults, you feel like you don't have any place for anything. I, 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 I strongly urge you to make a point, I mean a, a very distinct and direct point to take a youth, a college student, or a young couple under your wing Get to know them personally. Take them to lunch. Take them to lunch today. Invite them. There is not a student here, except for one or two that may go to grandma's house, that wouldn't take you up on your offer. Cook them a home-cooked meal. May I suggest chicken fingers and macaroni and cheese. And I can promise you, you won't go wrong with them. Invest in their life. Get to know about them. Young people, get to know senior adults. Invest in the future. Right? Our outlook doesn't equal income. I just believe tomorrow's going to be bright. You can believe whatever you want. Look, I'm excited about prospects. I'm excited because the reason I voted like I voted in the last election was for the exact reason that's going on right now. Who's going to sit on that Supreme Court? And all the liberals' heads are exploding with the thought that they may outlaw the killing of unborn babies. I'm going to tell you something. If that comes to pass, be real quiet when the news comes out because because you, because you, you will hear heaven shout because God is life. Right? It's amazing to me that they'll spend a gazillion dollars. And by the way, I keep using that word. Look it up. It's actually a, an amount. It's a bunch. They'll spend a gazillion dollars sending rocket ships and, and all kind of special equipment to Mars to see if there's any kind of life with one cell on the surface of Mars. And yet, they'll do nothing to prevent. Matter of fact, they'll try to spend money to kill babies. And call it a right. The outcome doesn't, our outlook doesn't equal outcome. Do you know what faith's potential is? He said, stay here until I give you power. But when you receive the power, go to your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, and be a witness of me. See what the world does. By the chapter, that was chapter 1 of Acts. By chapter 17, that group of ragtag new believers had turned the world upside down with the gospel. There is no end what God can do through faith's potential. But then I want you to see faith's providence. We've seen the, the merchant ships. Now let's see the farmer. Faith's providence. 
Remember now, God provides. He tells us right here, if the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. Verse 3. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall be. He that observes the wind shall sow or shall not sow. He that watches the wind, that's always aware of the wind, will not sow. And he that regards the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God, who maketh all. In the morning sow your seed, in the evening withhold not your hand, for you know us not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Listen. Faith. Faith's providence is understanding God provides everything. Sun, the rain, our breath, medicine, materials to build, food to eat. God is our provider. I don't mean any disrespect by what I'm about to tell you. Hear what I'm telling you. I've thought about this often. And I fully agree. Fully agree. But I want to add something to the end. They say, if you ate today, think of farmer. If it was shipped somewhere, think of trucker. But may I add, if you breathe today, thank God. If you thank the farmer, thank God for the farmer. Thank God for the trucker. Thank God for the teacher. Thank God for the banker and for the lawyer. Thank God for all those that give and, and participate in this thing called life. We talked about faith's potential, that no risk is no reward. But when we look at God's providence, remembering God provides no pain is no gain. God never said it was going to be easy. But he did say it would be worth it. What's the old hymn? Won't it be worth it, my child? So many times when people come to the end of their life, they have regrets. And those who have the opportunity to share some parting words, they share things that they regret, things they wish they'd have done differently, things they wish they'd have done more. And I've been at the deathbed of many, many people. And yet I've never heard anybody say, I wish I'd have played more ball. I wish I'd have took more vacations. I wish I'd have worked more. No, they say, I wish I'd have spent more time with my family. I wish I'd have read my Bible more. I wish I'd have prayed, and I wish I would have told more people about Jesus. That's what believers' regrets are. Live with no regret. Life will not always be easy. Matter of fact, most of the time it won't be even close to easy. But it is going to be worth it. Listen, remember God provides. He said the wind will blow. 
He said it blows, but are we going to stop and say, I can't do anything? If a farmer, listen to me, if a farmer got up every day and says, it don't look like good weather for planting, they'd never plant. Right? If it got perfect, you'd never do it. Right, man? I mean, it can be 85%, and hey, man, that's really good. But some days, you know, there's an old saying, make hay while the sun's shining. But you know what? Some days you got to make hay because it hadn't shined in a while. You just got to do it. You got to do whatever you can do to get it done. Because if something don't get done, somebody's not going to eat. We must realize the wind will blow, but also understand when it does, God send sends the wind. God sends them. God sends the breezes that blow through our life. And sometimes it's the winds of change, isn't it? Well, I don't like the way my church is changing. I don't like the way they're changing the styles on the new trucks. And I don't like this. Listen, there's a lot of stuff I don't like. Do you remember when they tried to change Coke? Was that the dumbest thing that's happened in the 20th century? And some say, oh, it was a market. Listen, they like, that wasn't. Now this IHOP, IHOP business, who cares? But we're talking about sacrilege to change Coke. I mean, it's the elixir of angels. To change Coke? The new Coke? No, there's nothing wrong with the old Coke. It's like trying to change blue plate mayonnaise. I mean, really? What is wrong with you? Leave it alone. Leave it. We, we start trying to new and improve and change this and oh, it's, it's got all this new stuff. Listen, some things are just right. God, listen, God gets things right in life and sometimes the winds of life blow through and change things and it's a positive thing. Some things need changing, right? Those of you who are old enough to know, aren't you glad you don't have to have to use lye soap now? That you can, you can, look, it ain't just about, and I love to listen to them. Senior adults still, they're, they're getting pods and big tubs of, of clothes detergent stuff, and they still call it washing powders. It's liquid. It's not a powder. I got to go get washing powders because that's what they grew. It changed. And aren't you glad? Man, you can go in there. Used to, you'd have to measure it and do all this stuff, put it in a little thing. Now you just, I, I just open the lid and pour it. I say, okay, it looks like about enough. Who needs a cup? Just pour it. It's good. If it foams over, I'll do a little less next. Don't smell just right. I'll add a little to it, you know. Listen, God sends the wind. God sends the wind. You're not, you're not going to be 17 the rest of your life. You're not going to be 24. People say, oh, time stands still. I don't want them to grow up. The only way you can do that is write that date on a piece of marble. That's the way life stands still. And I'm... I, I, I'm just of the opinion, I want to still live in the dash for a little while. 
Y'all get me? Life's exciting in the dash, isn't it? But he said there's no labor, work, or enjoyment in the grave. Talking about the temporal aspects of death. The winds blow. Life is not going to stay the same. I like remote controls. I like drive throughs I love air conditioning a vehicle. Even though I like my own choice to roll the windows down or roll them up. And I don't have to reach. You ever had to reach across the door to unlock, unlock it for somebody to get in? If you've never had to reach across a vehicle to unlock the door to let somebody in, raise your hand. You've done it? Power, power lock. You ain't never been in a car without power lock. I'm impressed. Because it's just about what, you know this whole hands-free thing? That is Ford, Chevrolet, and Dodge doing that business. Because look, they're going to say, <laughs> you can't do it without me. Buy a new vehicle. I'm, I'm convinced. I'm just going to keep driving mine and let, it, let the foam just sit there. Now listen, the clouds will come, but God fills them. Sometimes you're glad it rains, aren't you? That corn will look pretty rough if God doesn't send clouds every once in a while. And there's nothing more defeating than to need rain, see the clouds blow up, and the wind and the clouds pass, and not a drop falls. How many times did Elijah send his servant to look before? He saw a cloud. How many times? Huh? I think it was seven, wasn't it? It was more than once. How about, can we all agree it was more than once? But when he come back and he said, there's a cloud, there ain't much to it now, Elijah. I'm going to be honest with you. It don't look like much. Isn't that amazing? Those of you who watch rain gauges and everything else, I never even heard of a rain gauge before I moved to the country. Now, I can get right in the mix with them. How much did it rain? Oh, I had about seven tenths. I didn't even know what a tenth was until I learned what a rain gauge was. But isn't it amazing? You have a 90% chance of rain not get a drop. And there'd be a 10% change to get two inches. Do you know why that is? Because God fills the clouds. And there a time when he came back and he said, Elijah, there's just this little bitty cloud that's about the size of a man's head. And he said, you better strap up, boy. The rain is coming. He said, the trees will fall. He said, if it falls to the south, north, is there anything you can do about it? God's in control. He said, when the babies are formed, can you do anything about that? The world has convinced itself they can. But I'm here to tell you, God gives life. God allows life to end. Blessed be the name of our God. And that's the way it must be. And we can get into all the, the micro ethics of it, and we can start looking at gray areas, but when it boils down to life under the sun versus life over the sun, I think I'm going to let the one who created it all be in control. I saw a beautiful little meme the other day, little picture, and it said, it was two pictures, and it said Adam and Eve's child photos, 
and it was a pile of dirt and a rib. That's pretty funny. Because God does. God does. Yeah, but it's... Listen, mom and daddy don't breathe without God. Where'd they come from? Well, they come from their grip. What about from them and from them and from them? And we go all the way back to Noah. And then from Noah, we go all the way back to Adam and Eve. And before Adam and Eve, what was it? God! In the beginning, God. God sends the wind. God fills the clouds. God fails the trees. And God forms the babies. Listen, life is exciting. We ought to experience it. Philip is... As y'all make your way up here, I want you to hear. Don't don't quit. Y'all don't quit. Listen to me. I want to read the text again. Cast your bread upon the waters. Load it up in barrels. Put it on your ships and set sail. For For thou shalt find it after many days. It sounds like a promise. Give a portion to seven, also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if the tree falls toward the south or toward the north, in the place where it falls, there it shall be. He that observes the wind shall not sow, and he that regards the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who makes all. In the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, withhold not your hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Faith's potential says, stop making excuses. Hoist the sails. Send them all. Faith's providence says, send them. Start sowing, dig the ground, planting the seed. He said, who knows? He said, some will benefit, but you'll be surprised how much. Who's to say that it won't all benefit? When we give glory to God, nothing is wasted. Is life exciting for you? If not, maybe you need a good shot of the Holy Spirit. You need to be revitalized in your spirit to stop looking at life under the sun and get your focus on the potential of who God is and His providing for our lives. God's over it all. God's in it all. To God be the glory. If that's your prayer, come tell Him today. Come ask Him, Lord, empower me to be everything You've called me to be. Lord, my life has been miserable. I've made it miserable. Things have made it miserable, but I've not put my attention on you. Lord, I want my life to be exciting. I don't want where I'm li- how I'm living to be all there is. I want to share my faith. I want to see somebody come to Christ. I, I want to see my family give you the glory. I want to see my friends and my community glorify you. Life is exciting. Come say, Lord, I want to experience the life you have for me. In Jesus' name, stand and come. Come to Him, the one who can do something about it. No holding back.